Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Long Ball Street, back in your ears once again. I'm here with Matthew, co-host and star of the Ball Street podcast. We thought we'd do a little intro because what we've just done with Michael Dubry is... It's a beautiful podcast. A seminal moment in, in, in podcasting history. It was deep, <laughs> very deep. Um, I mean, it's quite a long podcast, but we've got in some, some really cool stuff with, with Dubes, what happened at Leeds with the, the whole Woodgate, Bowyer. Yeah, um, the, 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 the club trying to dose him with, um, with cocaine to get yeah. him out of the club. It, it, what was fascinating about it and why this intro is necessary is because it is a long podcast, but it's, it's, it's incredible. And we, we don't edit this thing ever, no. so... Um, it, it's real it's a very real candid conversation um, there's no editing because we ain't got the time yeah um, we can't be bothered uh, do you know what I quite like the fact that there is no editing it makes it very real we're not it's not there's no facade it, no it's not facade and we, don't, it, and we don't have the time no we don't have the time <laughs> um, and, and as you know those that listen we always try this silly little um, we're not comedians uh, we're not funny well, in any way arguably <laughs> Favs thinks he's funny, which is worse. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we, we you know we do the silly little thing where we make up an intro. We tried that with Jubes and um... it was mate, it was Jubes. It was Jubes that messed it up, <laughs> and we lost it. And anyway, look, have a listen. Forgive us, as all, all we would say. Yeah. Um, and and uh, wait till the end of the pod. Listen through to a lot, and there's a there's a little bonus at the end as well, just to, okay. just for the kicks. Ooh. Enjoy, enjoy. I'll get it. This must be him. Uh, ah, Jubes, how you doing, mate? How you doing, fella? You okay? Yeah, I'm Matt. Um, I'm so I'm the the star front man hey, for the Wall hey. Street pod. Is that Flav over there? Flav. Yeah. yeah, that is Flav. Do you know Flav? No, but I've heard about him. Sounds like you're gonna get the long ball street. It's episode 12, it's actually episode 13, but Michael Dubry doesn't like the, the number 13, so it's 12 again. It's 12. <laughs> I'm not going to mess with... We're not, none of us are messing with your dupes because yeah. you're, you're, you're a bigger man than us. A unit, as they say in, uh, in footballing terms, at the Mate, back. Very polite of you, boys. Yeah, <laughs> how tall okay. are you, by the way? I'm only six foot one. Right, OK. But you're, you've always had that mass. You've always played... You, you like, I guess some footballers, sportsmen, they say they play their size or they don't play their size. You probably played bigger than six one in a way, didn't you? Yeah, I, I suppose I do, but people think I'm 
I think everyone's got a massive TV at home. Can they see me? Goes, oh, you're big on TV. <laughs> but I'm only six one. All right. Um, so you've played for Chelsea. Obviously, you started your career at Chelsea, uh, Leeds, Stoke, Reading, Wickham, St Johnson, Oxford United, and Hendon. The last one. Yeah, Hendon. The last one. Yeah. Four games for Hendon. Yeah. Tell us about that experience. <laughs> well, we're gonna start with Hendon. Let's start with Hendon. Yeah, let's start with Hendon and uh, work our way backwards. Ah, uh, Hendon. It was four games. I went there because I, when I ended um, at Oxford, I just wanted to play local, and uh, I was waiting for a club to come and call. No one called, and uh, for a friend, Junior Lewis said, "Ah, oh, come and train down the road with us. Just keep fit." So I started doing that, and it was getting to the season starting. There was no clubs calling. Well, just play some games, but you have to like sign the papers. Just oh, okay, no worries. And if someone calls, then you can we just rip up the papers, we won't hold you to it. Uh, and in four games in, um, I wasn't enjoying myself, yeah. And I just thought, you know what, no, it's time to call it a day. I'm not gonna change my view, people's views of me, my name, make my name bigger, or anything like that. This is I've, I've made my name, people know me, this is me. I was just getting uh. I swear on this. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting pricks, like little pricks, going, "Oh, who, who are you? Who are you? Oh, you're, you're shit." Well, why are you playing? People that you're playing against? Yeah, going, "Oh, you're shit, you're shit." And I was like thinking, oh, "Man, I don't even know who you are." <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, you're shit. I think so. Like, what you mean? They were kind of sledging you during the game. That's cricket talk. Yeah. <laughs> sledging. They were trying to, they're trying to like, dig you out. Yeah, um, wind you up. I think. Yeah, just it wasn't even working. I was just looking and going, "Man, I don't I ain't got a clue who you are." Yeah, like, and you're not that good. Do you know what I mean? You're playing against a 37 year old, and you can't even get past me. So yeah, right. <laughs> and um, I just wasn't enjoying it. Like yeah. the the effort to reward wasn't very great. And I just thought, you know what? I'm going to concentrate on the next phase of life. And uh, and I had a little bit of fallout. The the manager. We didn't end on on great terms. I didn't really like. Um, how it ended he, he kind of uh, said some bad things about me in the, in the local paper which wasn't very professional and just thought what you know did, what what did he say um, well he, 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 he moaned about what he was getting from me which I didn't understand and I said okay no worries so we parted ways mm. and the next minute he, he was in the papers if like he let me go because um, I wasn't very good they had better players and, mm. and all that sort of stuff and I thought really yeah. really and I thought, okay, no worries. And I just thought it wasn't very professional, and it kind of justified my decision just to say call it a day. So um, yeah, that was my four games. Can, all, can that I just say, games. Flav, you've obviously not done your research. Why have we started off? We started off talking about Hendon, mm. all because of you, and it's clearly bringing about unpleasant memories. He's got, he's got. <laughs> yeah. uh, who, who are the strikers you've played against, Jubes? Some of some of the top ones. Uh, start with the best, Thierry Henry, um, Shearer, Cliver. Uh, Ferdinand, Cole, York. We're, we're so so like, these are great players, and here's you asking about Barry, this guy that's I'm trying to get, playing I'm, against Hendon that's giving him the large give the audience one. the stories that they don't usually get elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dudes' time at yeah. Hendon is an untold story. Now we've chronicled it, we can move on. What's it like playing against those type of players, the elite Cliver, um, uh, Henri? I know, obviously, they're better, but is it, yeah. is it just the, the way they read the game? It's hard to know what they're going to do. Do you look for it's, micros? Micro mannerisms. It's what you want. Like you wanna, you wanna play against the best to to see where you are. And I loved it. I thrived on it. And um, they tested you to the max. Um, what makes them so different and so good is the small little bits. Their timing. Um, they're there to pounce on any mistakes. You have to um, defend properly 
for 94 minutes not like just mentally just making sure you're yeah, not like errors and talking you know their movement um, at all times um, one of the for example Teddy Sheringham like he wasn't the player that's going to go up against your muscle yeah, but he made you think all the time the way he stood he stood like five yards away from you thinking do I go and mark him if I go and mark him I'm out of position yeah. he'd take up some positions that just made you thinking at the same time you're supposed to be covering your own centre half yeah. and talking to your full back and trying to help you midfield all this is going on at, at match pace you know and then he gets the ball and he gets the ball he turns everyone's going why aren't you up his fucking arse you're thinking well <laughs> you know what I mean you're thinking like, next time you go in that place someone plays the ball in behind you so all these sort of things that are going on like, and that's what you wanted to, to pit yourself against the best teams the best players in the world I guess that's the, uh, the thing isn't it which makes um, people successful or not it's when they come up against great challenges in life, in sport, yeah. and they relish it rather than being, uh, rather than shrinking at the prospect yeah. of it. Not crumbling. Like, you know, you, you see players, you know, everyone, every pro coming in and say they've seen a great training ground player that's great in training, goes to match days, and was absolute rubbish. But um, you know, when you go up against the top players and just having to, that's why, as a, a player, when I see the likes of Paul Scholes, Ronaldo, all those Beckham, the top. Rio that lamps that top for all those years week in week out and the, the the level mentally to sustain that and the drive to sustain that to keep on top with all these other top players and still coming out on top it's amazing it, it, like, I don't think it gets the sort of credit it's it's due yeah because people do sometimes they have performances where they can match that level yeah but it's the like you say the consistency yeah so Eden Hazard didn't he he had an, an amazing mm-hmm. season and he looked like he was sort of joining the Suarez Messi yeah. Ronaldo on that level and then just disappeared Stop, yeah. for, for good at the Euros but disappeared for a while yeah how, how, how important is that mental aspect of it and, and you're playing in confidence because we had we had Reese Weston and Sam Parkin last week and, and they, they talked a lot about how how if your head goes or you have a dip in confidence or things are not right it's very difficult to play football at, at, at the top level because it, those weaknesses come out in the game and it get exploited what for you is you know my 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 biggest strength was i'd say my mental strength you know uh, no one could uh get in my head um i was confident you know i was confident from 17 i walked into chelsea you know playing amongst the pros I was the best defender in the club. I said that to myself and I said it to anyone who'd listen. I was the best, I won't say I was the best player, but I was the best defender. I knew my strengths, you know, outrun me, going for pace, I'd out sprint you, I'd out jump you, I'd out sprint you. Uh, So I was confident. So when you're playing at that level, you have to be confident. You know, mentally, you can't let people break you. I see people get broken mentally in the tunnel. Do you know what I mean? Really? Yeah, it's just like, just the fear, someone's in, like, looking at them, just, but no one's doing that. They've got to, scare me on a football pitch you're not going to um, talk to me to make me crumble mm. do you know what I mean and if I made a mistake then you know I'd get on with it I, I'd, I'd never crumble my, my biggest strength as a as a player and in life is my mind you know you're not going to break me I, I refuse to be beaten and, and if I had a bad game I have a bad game if you score a goal against me you have to work fucking hard to score your goal but it's, it's so did you sorry for uh, so did you try and were you the breaker Rather than the broken, did you break people in the tunnel? Did you kind of break people on the pitch? Like, you know, I, I wasn't. You know what? My my thing was this: it was when I played, I didn't engage in talking with my opponent. Right. I know you know people like want to talk, and 
I'd go out, I'd go out on, on the pitch and I weren't talking to you. And the moment you went, right, mate, right, dude, so I knew got, I've got you. Mentally, really? I've got you. If you want to befriend me, then for me, I broke you. And I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't speak to anyone. Like I wouldn't like befriend even if you're my, my mate. I wouldn't speak or all right, all right. The moment you spoke and said, all right, I wanted to like give me that nod. Then for me. I broke you mentally and I didn't want to talk to you like for me like you're you're the enemy and I didn't like centre forwards mm. I didn't I don't <laughs> no, he, he didn't like they're, they're the ones getting all the glory Flash like pricks yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah they are aren't they they're like they're the ones getting all the glory like, listen I, I I did my job and I wasn't trying to like scare people and like yeah I'm going to do some or yeah, your shit and all that sort of talk where people do that but um, if you spoke to me or tried to nod then I knew I've got you I love that. Yeah. That's good. And you you don't think sorry, I find it fascinating the but you don't you don't think of football really in those terms about yeah. it being about that mental and psychological warfare. You just kinda sit down, they come out of the tunnel, they go on the pitch, you watch the game, then they disappear. Yeah. But it must and whereas in sport and I don't know we we both like yeah. a bit of MMA and a bit yeah. of UFC, but then you think about Conor McGregor, yeah. you think about that kind of psychological aspect that goes on in fighting. Yeah. I love the thought actually that in the tunnel there's someone just giving someone uh, the eye and intimidating them. That's remember, quite exciting. Remember, you know there was a, the history between Roy Keane and Vieira but that tunnel scene yeah. when the United were playing at Highbury and they, they exploded and they hated each other anyway. But it was fascinating, and, and the mind games and the importance, because ultimately it's a game of football. It's yeah, there to it be is, enjoyed, it is. But, uh, but obviously, such is the rivalry. There's a, there's a funny story. Obviously, the Bull Street, you know, icon Ian Wright. So, um, twenty and twenty twenty one, and I'm going to play. I'm North London boy. I'm going to Highbury. Mm. So I'm playing. I'm playing against my hero Ian Wright. I'm going to Dave Rowcastle. Oh, we're righty and Dave Rocky's going God rest his I was going just do you do your finger do a right because yeah I'm playing it right so I'm at Highbury now <laughs> I'm in the dressing room there's this heated floor I'm thinking I don't want to leave this dressing room right? <laughs> so I go out the, the game's starting so obviously kick off boom all of a sudden now uh, right comes in my vicinity so I'm looking at him like no I don't want to get little not like, first time I'm saying like, I'm smiling now look at him goes what the fuck are you looking at <laughs> so I'm like so like, now I'm like my body name's changing I'm like that little fuck you like, that's, that's what I can think of he's like, and so during the game he's like he's in elbowing me like fucking prick and then the worst thing like when you're young someone says to you you're a fucking big time prick ain't you big time so worth thinking I'm not flash I'm like no I'm not no I'm not no I'm not big time and he obviously <laughs> what, so he was chatting throughout yeah, the game because he, he gave, mentioned he mentioned that. big time big time so like thinking fuck you like, I'm like now nah, I don't even like this geezer I'm thinking what a prick gone from hero to zero in about 30 minutes <laughs> Now if he's like twelve oh, me first corner I get is is near me and he's he's pinching me. Like <laughs> pinching me like I'm going to, now I'm trying to like again so half time now, I'm like raging angry thinking I can't stand this geezer. Second half again there's more of the same. It's like so now we're like, well fuck you for all this like sort of thing. Right. I'm sitting up to her thinking, yeah what, what? Like, I wanna fight this guy. End the game, I can't remember the score, it might have been uh, like, one one or something. So the next day, we had to go to a club do at Chelsea. So I'm saying to Rocky, your mate, like, he's a fucking idiot. Like, I can't stand him. I hate him. I hate him. He's laughing. He goes, ah, dudes, he's all right. No, can't stand him. The following week now, I'm on a night out with the boys in Covent Garden, the spot. So I'm in there, like, dancing away, like, yeah, really with the lads. All of a sudden, I can see through the door, Ian Wright walks in. So now my body posture's like, like, it's oh on now it's on <laughs> yeah. right, so I like stop dancing my face is gone you get that stiff face and that so he's walking up to me I'm thinking right, he's going to give it like he's gone 
They squeeze me, come on, man. He goes, I'm, I'm dirty, like, I've got to do that, come on. Listen, well done, like, listen, I love the way you played. Don't let anyone take liberties with you. I love the way you've done that. You've got a big future. Come on, give me a big kiss, come on. And we're friends ever since. So I'm like, going, yeah, me and right, we're friends, isn't it? I'm here right. So that's like, that's how our friendship was born. But that game, I'll never forget that, like, the way he was playing. And that's the way, like, he couldn't break me, like, you were saying he's broken players mm. from doing that. He was yeah, yeah. Ian Wright. And they're like, what the fuck are you looking at? And they'd break people <laughs> and they'd crumble. Well, as, a, as a 20-year-old, a young, very young man, yeah. 20, and as a, against a seasoned, yeah. borderline world-class striker, yeah. that's the first thing he says to you is, what the fuck are you looking at? I would have crushed many people. You were born in North London. Yeah, yeah. In Edmonton. Yeah. And obviously the, the greatest football club on earth, just down the road. Just in down the road. Iceberg. It must have been a shame when you had to sign that, for Chelsea. That was my... You know what? That was my fir- <laughs> first time I ever saw men play football was a reserve game at Water Lane. My, my dad's uh, friend took me and I remember, I think it was Tony Parks might have been goal. Mm. And I just remember these men were swearing. I was going, oh my God. <laughs> and they're like, it's, it's like, well, I'm empty water lane, so it's echoing as well. Mm. And he was shouting, everyone was thinking, I never want to play in front of goalkeepers going to swear at me like that. Like. <laughs> so then, uh, but where I used to live, I used to live on the A10. And uh, every like Saturday, we'd see like teams, when they're going to White Lane, the, the team buses go past. So mm. I used to like, come out purposely and see the buses going past and, and watching it. But when I was, uh, I was at Enfield Rangers Boys Club and all my mates were at Spurs, it was Spurs, it was Spurs, like, I don't know, the 10s, 11s, and I, they just kept never taking me because I was never the best at that age. But it was like, so I didn't really like Spurs at that, that time, right, do you right. know what I mean? But growing up, I, listen, one of my favourite grounds to go back to when I was playing was Water Lane. It was, yeah. like, it was, like, home, it was like home for me, right. going there. I loved Water Lane as a ground. It was like brilliant. It's like close, but yet yeah, this home warm stadium, mm. love, always a lovely pitch. Um, I used to win there as well when I was at Chelsea. Yeah, so it was, was a nice little, uh, nice little. Uh, <laughs> Cheers, <for that>. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, lovely, lovely. I, I do like um, Water Lane as a ground. Yeah, it's a shame that it's going to be gone in uh, in, a, in a couple of years. I've already started knocking down a quarter of the stadium yeah. already. So, you, how, um, at what age did you think, right? I'm going to make this. I'm going to, I'm going to be a pro. It's going to happen for me. At what age did you think that? Um, do you know what? I always used to. Uh, like, my dad was, like, West Indian, man, so he was, like, cricket, horse racing. My mum got me into football because I had too much energy. So when I got into football, it wasn't, I wasn't that kid that used to fall asleep with a ball under his arm. So I was playing football. I was never the best when a young age. I got into, mm. say, 10. But every year I got better. So I was always focused on the next year. So I got to 12. Um, everyone would say everyone was at Spurs, a young kid. My aim was, like, just to get into, like, like that sort of environment. Get in the district team first, got in the district team. Then everyone was going to clubs, and obviously I got to Chelsea. So when I got to Chelsea as a schoolboy, my only next ambition was to get my YTS. So the next two years, getting a YTS, get a YTS. So I'm thinking, yes, next year, the next goal was then get my pro contract. So I forget a pro contract. Because then you think, if you've got a pro contract, that means you're sorted to your 35, like to your retired. You know I mean, then yeah, like thinking yeah, yeah. pro, then you're like you've got a career to your 35, retired, and you buy a pub, and that yeah. was the, the sort <laughs> of thing. Yeah, yeah, that was the plan. plan. That's the plan. You know what I mean? You get your turn pro, buy you buy a pub, and you're, you're sorted <laughs> for the rest of your life. And so it was always that little step, step. So when I got my pro, I got my pro early. I think you know what I can like do something, and I next year I made my debut. But I never really, even then, I was thinking like oh, I'm gonna have this long career. It was always short 
like, like I believe now, even now I speak to people, if you make like short little goals and make them achievable, you're always on that feel-good factor. Best you have your long-term goal, like a, a good career, mm. but you have your little short goal. So yeah. YTS, then pro, then in the first team, then first team and make 20 games and 20 games. So, I mean, it's always that little yeah. sort of short goal, short achievable goals. Which is interesting as well, because the um, a lot of times when people are wanting to do things in life, they're kind of almost are intimidated by where they want to go yeah. and and... And actually, because um, so my my little cousin who listened to this, he come and stayed with me, and um, you know he was he'd finished uni, didn't really know what he wanted to to do. Yeah. And I was like, again, don't worry about what yeah. you're going to be. You just need to kind of move yeah. in a direction yeah. where you're actually you're making progress, and that actually starts to give you yeah. confidence and stuff. And and you know a lot about this area, don't you? Because sort of um, you know since finishing playing, you've gone on to develop a, um, a, yeah. a good bit of uh, strength and skill uh, in this area with, with the made leaders. Uh, yeah, tell um, us about that. Well, when I when I retired, um, got into a little bit of journalism. From journalism, I found myself getting into keynote speaking and talking. People say motivational speaking, but it's a, I deliver talks, and if you're motivated and inspired by it, then that's what's great. But what inspires you and what inspires Fab is, is is obviously something different. So hopefully, people take something from it. And then from that, you know, I've I've gone on to. Uh, have my own company made leaders which is like one-to-one executive coaching oh, okay. and it is really all about me and, and my philosophies and my ethos which is being positive you know which is being determined and just what I just said there about setting yourself little small achievable goals is something I'd say to anyone if you want to be you know a kid wants to be a, a professional footballer great have that as your long-term goal but in that make small achievable goals you yeah. know can you can you score twenty goals next season? Yeah, that help you. Then can you then beat that next little achievable yeah. goals which you feel good about? Then if you don't make them, don't feel too despondent. But if you just look at the big picture of being a pro, if you're ten years old being a pro, it's seven years away, yeah. and you're never going to feel close enough to that. Yeah. But if you're looking at okay, can I get signed for the local Watford team? If you're yeah, you've done that, brilliant. Can I now get my little schoolboy? So make it like short and achievable. The next minute you look, put your head up. And being a pro is only two years away yeah. and you've still got that momentum. So yeah. it's all little, it's a mindset. And, you know, my thing is being positive. There's always something positive in any situation. And, and that's how I, I tend to deal with life. And my experience through football and life has, has brought me to that sort of mindset. And, you know, only when you sit down and you think about some of the incidents, you open up, you think, you know, I have always had that mindset, but it's for experience, I had to mm. bring it out. Well, a lot of the um, a lot of the great talks and um, examples that I've seen given in business before, and things that have inspired me, have often been from the world of sport, whereby people have, you know, um, whether it's a great redemption or whether it's you know overcoming the odds, um, there must be so much to draw from from being in those changing rooms and oh, seeing all these different figures. There, there's the one thing that I offer. You know, I'm not trying to pitch myself, but the one thing I offer uh, to people in coaching from my experience of sport is it, it gives you these these great uh, life skills. Handling change is, is not something that everyone can handle. You know, people go in a company and there's changes, people panic. But in, in football, you know, the guy next to you had gone, come in the next day, he's gone, the manager's gone, you know, he's gone, it's, it's changed all around, you're gone, you have to move and, on the move, so you deal with change, it becomes part of you changing, and the best people in life always handle and deal with change, yeah. do you know what I mean, you know, adversity, overcoming odds, you know, you know, you're sitting there, one day you're, the manager's 
best player next minute he's putting you over there and you're not even wanted mm. having to now change your mindset to pick yourself up because if you crumble and fall yeah. you're going even further back so all these little life skills you, you deal with and in the world of business in life in general not everyone's equipped to deal with it because yeah. sometimes adversity hits people when they're as old as 35 and they've gone through life not knowing what adversity is like now they can't handle it because yeah. they've just had sunshine 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 now it rains they're like oh my god my life's over so yeah. it's it's trying to show people that you know what there's there's a different way of looking at things and I always say to people it's a little analogy I use you know um, seven and two is nine but so is five and four so it's just sometimes a different way of looking at things and when your mind's blocked it's just a different way of looking yeah. at things mm. interesting absolutely and the, the change thing by the way I remember um, when I was at TalkSpot and, and they got it was owned by the wireless group um, and then they got bought out by UTV an Irish yeah. company and one of the the directors there, I had a good friendship, was leaving, and he actually pulled me aside and said, look, he said, I know that you've been enjoying this and kind of doing well here, um, but change, when change comes, the, the people that do the best out of it are those that are, um, accept it and understand it and roll with it rather than those that, that yeah. sort of um, clench up yeah. and, and sort of struggle to cope with it and, and I remember really learning that lesson then so yeah I, I love that And so, so how can people just, just to finish off that how can people kind of get in touch with you uh, uh, to, to pursue that, that kind of thing um, uh, company madeleaders.co.uk or email me at made, info at madeleaders.co.uk um, yeah or you know you can follow me on Twitter which uh, original underscore Doobs. Doobs. Yeah. D-U-B-E-S. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I made a mistake. It's but it's from D-O-O-B-E-S, which is yeah, stupid. And that's not an interesting thing to say on a podcast. <laughs> either, so, uh, Beautiful. Well, check that out, people. Yeah, absolutely. Made leaders. Um, something of change. Uh, Hoddle was perhaps the, the, the beginning of the change at Chelsea. Um, he, he kind of brought in Hullet, um, played with Desai, Leboeuf, Terry, Zola, Di Matteo, Precescu and Viali. I think a bit later. But... You was a part of that. The Hoddle gave you your debut, right? Yeah, um, I was a YTS, and it was David Webb was the manager, and and then he was going. So in the summer, it was going to be my second year YTS, and uh, I got signed pro. But then we didn't know who the manager uh, was. So it was Glenn Hoddle, and I was like, oh my god, like Glenn Hoddle's this skillful player. He's not going to like me. I'm just this big centre half that like heads it, defends it. My career's over, I'm out. Honestly, I think. Really? Yeah, I think, oh my God, Glenn Hoddle, he's a skillful player, like, he looks good, like, he could do anything with a football. <laughs> he could, yeah. Um, so he come in, and Graham Ricks was my youth team manager, and Glenn Hoddle come in, and, and he was massive on discipline, like, he was massive. I think he's the, I'll be honest and say, he's the only manager I was ever scared of in my career. Really? Like, yeah, just the, the discipline. So he come in, and he just changed the mindset of everyone, like, professionalism the way you approach training like the things he was bringing in um you know and then he signed rude mm. like i'm like oh, it's rude it? <laughs> so, i mean it's rude it's my teammate like you know this is rude it? Like, I'm, I'm watching him in the euros like two years yeah. ago like, this is rude it? like you know all right rude <laughs> i'm walking in yeah. and uh what was he like sorry quickly rude when, when he walked in was he rude <laughs> oh, sorry, I know, I know. Um, nah, it was it was it was rude. Was alright. He was he was okay. Which people are, and you know, 
by and large, what are you going to say? No, I'm not saying anything about <laughs> yeah, it. No, but, okay, Dutch people, uh, Scandinavians, I've got a few Swedish friends, yeah. and they're just some of the words that we have in our language yeah. they don't kind of have, yeah. right? And they sometimes come across as being ironically quite rude. Yeah, yeah. Often, yeah. Um, you know, he was, he that was must like, be mad as a young guy. All of a sudden, now people coming from all these different places yeah. as well, and, and kind of getting to grips with that, as well as the fact that they happen to be a, a huge I player, a huge celeb, an ego. Yeah, rude is like, okay, lovely boy. Okay, lovely boy. That's what you say. Okay, lovely boy. Lovely boy. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> just, just to you or yeah, everyone. <laughs> okay, lovely boy. As you're saying that, um, it's not rude. But, uh, it's lovely. That's what's got nothing. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was thing. And, and but Glenn you know, his training, um, it was just like it, it was just different. You had to raise the bar. And, and for me, I always wanted to impress Glenn Just mm. always wanted to impress Glenn Like he was Glenn Hoddle. And a funny story. I told the gaffer this gaffer, cool gaffer. And um, when I was about nine years old driving through North London, I was in my dad's car, like, asleep in the back, and I've opened up, opened my eyes, and in a white BMW next to me was Glenn Hoddle. <laughs> like, and I'm not even making this up. He was singing Diamond Lights. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm not even making it up. Like, those who don't, that was his song with Chris Waddle, yeah, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, like, So I'm not even making it up. And, and I looked at him, and he just nodded to me, and it happened to be my manager, like, years later, I wouldn't even know. But um, he was, like, just always wanted to impress Glenn Hoddle, and he, he's the one that gave me... Uh, my debut, um, you know, and he was always he was always um, pushing me to, to do better. Um, and when I made my debut, I made my um, debut again. I made my debut against Coventry, and then I made my second game like about a, a year, eighteen months later. So I was playing. So my first game back was against Tony Oboa. Wow. So like at Leeds, was he on fire at that time? It, I'd soon quashed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah, Ellen Rhodes. I played there. Uh, come back. My next mm. game was against uh, Alan Shearer. So then, you know, going and training the gaffers. Going, you done well, but your real test is next week. You got um, Ferdinand. No, you got Sheringham and Armstrong at Spurs. Like mm. you say that. So I was like, okay. So I'm thinking, oh my god. So I've done well against them too. So now, boom, I've done well against Sheringham and Armstrong, Spurs, the corridor. Yeah, done well. Your real test is next week. Like I got Ian Wright. So I'm going, oh my god. <laughs> so I'm thinking, like, no pressure's on again. I'm so thinking, you both Sheringham, Shearer, Sheringham, and Wright. Yeah, and like, I had a little run, like, and then, and then, uh, and then, so I've done well against Wright, and then he, he like go, I've done really well against them but your next game is your real test like against Ferdinand at Newcastle so yeah. I'm thinking oh my god every game the test, but it like kept me on my toes yeah. so I was doing really well I come out and then he said to me like he, he tried to protect me he said you know what you're not going to do any interviews I don't want you doing any interviews I want you to stay ground no interviews and so I said no interviews after the game when everyone all the pros are getting on the bus I just play against like uh, I remember I played against Man United scored a goal at Old Trafford thinking yeah I had to Everyone got on the bus. I had to carry the kit back on the the, the coach. He made made me do that. And one one game I forgot, and he, I was sitting on the bus, like thinking, happy myself. Goes, Wait, and then I had to get all past him. Yeah, yeah, But he let me do do. I couldn't do any interviews after games. I think he told the press, but I didn't know this. So the press were outside. Goes, uh, Michael, can we do a talk? Can we do a talk? And I'm like, going. Walking, thinking, oh my god, they're gonna think I'm so arrogant. Yeah, they're, gonna, yeah. they're gonna hate me. But I think he already said he's not doing any interviews. So he tried to protect me and keep me grounded, and, and he did. Like you know, I'm a well-grounded person. I didn't get carried away with anything I'd done. Mm. Um, 
but the Chelsea that you that you see like is 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 down to Glenoddle and you know he was just Glenoddle in training he was immense. Was it was it hard to train under him because he? I've, you've heard stories. Yeah. Of offset fact that he was so good and still very good at his even his old age that he kind of expected. More. He's, he had high demands and I think sometimes one thing I'd say maybe that he, he didn't. Um, understand when someone can do what he could naturally do like ping a ball on someone's left shoulder and like from 60 yards and you're like get a ball boom and you're thinking and when you couldn't do it I think you got frustrated thinking how can you as a top player not do this um, mm. and it would be frustrating and sometimes we play a game and you play at the back with me like at the back and not like you just pass simple ball but you should pass it with spin on it so I'm getting the ball trying to control his <laughs> thinking now you head thinking just fucking pass it simple but he's a gaffer you couldn't say that yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. and he played he played um, I remember and we because we went out to the, to the Euros yeah. you know, we did a podcast with Wrighty uh, Flav as a Spurs fanboy met Hoddle are we going to tell this story again are we <laughs> just <laughs> he melted all over the table it was like it's Glenoddle isn't it it's Glenoddle that's what you're saying this is a man my dad only refers to as God do you know what yeah. I mean he was that good he was, he was listen he was the first Bex Bex is obviously with how footballers in the world is and media is but he was the first one the way he used to walk out and he had his socks the, the little two tassels that are down you know the way he used to flick his boots and his shorts were like higher than his, yeah. half his thighs were showing do you know what I mean like he was just an icon yeah. do you know what I mean so before Bex it was like it was Glenoddle, do you know what I mean? And he's, he, he is now, he's like, it's crazy. Mm. I wanted to ask him about everything. I wanted yeah. to talk about all the time at Spurs and, you know, oh, there was so much, but you know... All he could talk about was, uh, was, was, was giant fish. No, no, it was, it was, I talked about surfing with Lee Dixon. <laughs> That's, right. That's all I could get out of my lips. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. We were just sitting there and I was like, uh, surfing? <laughs> you <laughs> like surfing? No, uh, Lee Dixon was talking about living in California and then I started talking about surfing. Right, I'm, I'm a joke. And, I'm sorry. No, well, it's, you keep saying that and that's, yeah, that's <laughs> it's been into hurt. Uh, Get a room, you too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Much later. Um, Alright, let's move on to uh, probably let, more demanding times and uh, where where things probably weren't going as well. I mean, obviously you did fantastic one UEFA Cup. Cup Winners Cup. Cup Winners Cup. League Cup and European Super Cup. Yeah. You playing that game? Super yeah, all of them. Amazing. Three cup finals, three clean sheets. Really? Bang. Yeah, I can't argue with that record. Who were you? Who were you? Was it Leboeuf that you? Frank Leboeuf. Yeah. Leboeuf. Yeah. He come. He, he played. He played in the the Super Cup in midfield, and then the season after he started playing defence. And then jo- now the coffin in my Chelsea career. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tough. Yeah. Uh, and then John, John Terry is a. He was coming through, yeah. Coming through, yeah. you, Was he kind of on people's radar then? He was coming through. Listen, I, as, as a football club, we make decisions, and I think, you know, I was like the backup for Frank LeBeouf and Marcel, but they had this young kid in the background, and, and for a club, you know, I think they thought, okay, we could let Dubes go. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it was ever official, I said it, but, you know, from a point of view, they can let, this, let me go, and they've got JT coming through, mm-hmm. and. What decision that was? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were right, Rick. We only really signed JT just to. I always got a call well, Huddersfield. Huddersfield into yeah, every yeah. single podcast. No one cares about Huddersfield. Only Huddersfield fans, and pro- how many of them are listening? That's out of order, man. Let's talk about Leeds. Yeah. Oh, great. So we can't talk about Huddersfield, we're talking about fucking Leeds. Uh, yeah, so you, was, you spent six years there in total. Yeah. Up and down. Yeah. Um, played, it was a time when they were spending lots of money, um, and obviously ultimately ran themselves into the ground 
But what what was that like? That transfer from you know Desai was in your place. At um, I, I, I could have stayed at Chelsea a little bit longer, but I want to play football. Ultimately, I, I want to always remember saying to myself is that when I finish, I want to say you know what I played as much as I could. Not sit there. I was at Chelsea. We won that, but you know got to that final, but I didn't play. Or I won that league, but I didn't play. I want to say whatever it is. I played my games, I, I played my football, and, and that's why I, I couldn't sit there. It was, it was annoying, especially with Frank Buff anyway, because he'd go down so many times during the game. I was, I was doing more exercise and run up and down <laughs> on the touchline. <laughs> just to so Doobs go out, go, he's, he's going to get back up in a minute. Doobs out. <laughs> and I'd go out there and he'd get back up. I'd run back in, next minute he'd go down. Sydney and I was just like standing, like, thought, can you someone book me a seat down the touchline, please? <laughs> but um, yeah, I just wanted to play football. No, I, I got in it to play football, not just to, to say, uh, you know the cup finals I played in. You know I've I won them because I played. I've done my bit. But if I would have not played, I wouldn't be sitting there. Go yeah, that cup final, this and that. So when I play, I play. I didn't want to just sit there and say I've been a part of it when I never really was a part of it. So that was I wanted to leave. That's quite refreshing to hear from from professional football because in the modern game, you, you kind of see so many players moving from the money. You're making moves to clubs with a lot of money, who have, who have an abundance of players in your yeah. position. You can tell it's about the money. You know, you think about. Delft's move to Man City in my head's crazy yeah. I mean not for his bank balance mm. he's going to get paid a lot of dough but you know it, it's you as a fan you want to hear players say yeah. I want to play uh, uh, and you understand if a player moves because they want to play you know no uh, one argues I understand like, like, obviously you know the short career but like, you know maybe it's a word that is getting used a lot but like legacy like what do you want to leave behind like you know the, the moves for money like yes you know you have a lot of money but you want to like be in the clubs, history books, the clubs, on the wall, when people walk, you know, 20 years down the line that you did sign at a club, not mm. just, you know, oh, that you was that signing for that amount of money. So, you know, whatever their motives are, you know, mine was to, so I wanted to play, I wanted to be remembered in, in a certain way and, and, and make my mark. So you moved to, to, to Leeds, um, but you, you managed around 57 games. Um, obviously, they had Woodgate, Woodgate yeah. Dominic, Matteo. Yeah, it, it's when I look back, the 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 years to, to games ratio is um, you know is disappointing when it's on paper. But you know, with injuries, I was competing against four, five internationals in Rio, Dom, Matteo, Lucas Radaby, mm, yeah. Jonathan Woodgate. Um, you know, and when I moved there, it was only Woody and Lucas. Um, and when I when I went the first the first year in the preseason, I done really well, and uh, Dave O'Leary, the gaffer at the time, said, "I'm going to have to, even though you've done really well, I was getting man of the matches in every game I played." He said, "But just on the loyalty that they they dumped me last year and they got us to the Champions League, I'm going to have to start them." Mm. Which I kind of yeah, rugby was the captain, club captain, captain wasn't yeah, he? Yeah. As well, so even I remember him getting injured, but then yeah, he was the club captain. Club captain. Yeah. So he he let him do that. And, you know, at the time I bit the bullet, but it it burnt because you know four point five million pounds, and they played and they done really well. I didn't make my home debut as a signing till about uh, November, um, just because they was then in, and then when I did get in, and I started on a good run. I ruptured my Achilles and and in that time by the time I come back they'd sign Rio and Dom so it was like oh, it was just an uphill battle but I loved my time there I got I got better as a player but you just I didn't have the the platform to to show it 
So when you uh, when you moved to Leeds, did you have other options at that time? I know Leeds were kind of up and coming and uh, uh, putting it together. And, and Sheffield, I think Sheffield Wednesday uh, made an inquiry, but then when uh, my agent said Leeds, I see what they was doing. They had because when I was at Chelsea, it became uh, an influx of foreign players, and there wasn't a culture that I kind of liked when I was at Chelsea. Like, and uh, Leeds represented the English, so it represents young young English British players I thought I want to be part of that mm. I want to be part of that so when I went there and that's what it was the club was like it was like being in the youth team like everyone loved each other everyone was like we'd get in at we'd start training at say half ten everyone was getting at nine I'm not kidding everyone yeah. was getting at nine and we'd get in and we'd like have such a laugh yeah. um, Rio even now says it's the best time he's had as a, a, like much he's done well at Man United that time there like we had everyone was around about the same age. Um, we had so much in common, and, and money wasn't a factor. It was just all about like we wanted to win something, and everyone was hungry to win something. And everyone like got in at nine. We had a laugh, but when we got on the training field, everyone was serious. Yeah. But it was just such a, a great group of lads, like such characters: Gary Kelly, Rio, Kino, Alan Smith, uh, Woody, Lee Bowyer. Um, the Harry Kuehl H Michael Bridges yeah Michael um, Bridges David Batty Jason Wilcox right. Nigel Martin like we had like proper yeah. character everyone offered like something to the and like you know and everyone can play as well Danny Mills Millsy yeah like, what, Mil was he much uh, he was a psychopath on the pitch <laughs> nah he was just Danny Mills just done things you're thinking Millsy why'd you do that for <laughs> but like he was a good player but he just do things like he just just do silly things, yeah. but like it was a really like honestly like really good defender. Just he just used to wind people out the wrong yeah, way. He was become a cult figure, didn't he, for a while? And I remember yeah. the because obviously uh, from where I'm from, I know a lot of Leeds fans. I remember the the song that they used to sing, which is quite a cool, which was just Danny Mills is fucking brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Danny yeah. Mills is fucking he was, brilliant. He kept Gary Kelly out the side, and Kells was like mm. like a, a, a Leeds icon, yeah. legend for a long time. For a long he time, yeah, and, he kept him out of the scene. And, and, when he played, he played for England in the World Cup 2002. 2002, maybe? Yeah, and he'd done really well. He was yeah. one of the players that come out with, yeah. like... Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then Tony DeRigo was there, left back. Ian Hart, he... Oh, Ian, Ian Hart was there. Tony DeRigo was, was gone. Ian Hart was there. Ian Hart's free kicks. Fucking, what were they like? They he used to wear, you know, he used to wear boots two sizes too small for him. What? He used to cram his feet into boots. He's just so committed in hot water and cram his feet into him I don't know why I've done why it is that? what is it just so he gets a, as much control on the ball or it's just a ritual wouldn't it weird yeah, weird. yeah are you still in touch with him I'd like to um, know what his feet are like now because my <laughs> missus used to do ballet yeah right and one of her feet it's like she won't like me saying this and she does listen because I make her uh, <laughs> it's not the best foot I've ever seen it's like yeah. from ballet yeah. you know, I've seen, yeah. it's not the best foot I've yeah. ever seen you can't say that I know but but two boots two oh. that's asking for trouble in later life surely you'll be listening tonight you'll be on the couch Matt <laughs> get that pillow for the couch yeah, yeah. Well, Sorry. it's a promotion right now uh, and then obviously there's two incidents one we've got to talk about is the, the Bowyer and Woodgate um, court case mm -hmm. so and my understanding of it was there was some sort of Racially aggravated assault, and uh, on a night out in Leeds, was it Leeds City Centre? The yeah, it, like um, it wasn't racially aggravated. It was uh, one lad, group of lads uh, punch Woody's friends. The group of lads that punched Woody's friends happened to be Asian. So in 
retaliation, Woody and his friends chased the Asian lads. Um, they caught them up. Uh, they beat them up. Yeah. Uh, and that was what happened. Um, and then through the media, just different races, mm. it was now, it was deemed as a, a racial attack. Yeah. But in fact, it was a retaliation. And that's where the racial bit, it didn't help them when, when Bo was involved. And he had the... Uh, the previous charges of, of, of some racial case in right. the McDonald's or something. Mm. So now it's got beamed up like racist, they're racist, they're racist. Um, it was more of uh, lads on a night out. We see it all the time as men. Uh, it's happening. These um, uh, people were, two were famous footballers fighting in their hometown and it just got built up like that. So it was uh, a bit of a dark episode because for what my participation was and what it, it got into and what it, uh, it it was built into was so little and just by making the wrong choice um, and telling a lie at the beginning mm. um, got me into trouble so was that to protect them yeah so they had they 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 had their they had the the fight so when woody come back um, from I'd come out the nightclub and then they'd walking back and I said, I'll give you a lift uh, back to the hotel. When we drove back round to the hotel, the, the street was blocked off. I said, oh. so I said, come back to mine. Come back to my house. Um, Woody and his friends went in another room. And I went, uh, in a, at the time I had a dog. And when me and my dog was in the kitchen, was watching, it was when Man, Man United playing in the World Football Championship. Uh, yeah, they, the that's the one, yeah, right, yeah, okay. yeah. So... Um, was in it, and then Woody and his friends got a taxi home. They went. Uh, so, on. hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. On the, the following week, the police come to training ground and went to the interview. Everyone had, everyone had, to, go to, everyone had to go to the club solicitors uh, everyone was out that night the club told the club sisters and I said to Woody what did you say to the police like you know like school up like, don't get in trouble what did you say oh just tell them just, Woody said just tell them oh we've got a cab home we've got a cab back okay you sure yeah 
that was that. So when I did my, I went to solicitors, did my interview, mm. I just said, listen, I've never, I've never been in trouble with police before. So I just thought, oh, yeah, Woody and his friends got a cab back. This is all under oath, like, you know, I'd seen the bill. You know, yeah. I, I know, like, I'm watching the bill thinking, at any stage now, if I get it wrong, my sister's going to go, can we stop the tape? We're at five minutes, right? <laughs> so um, I'm saying, yeah, um, Woody said he got a, a cab back. So that from that one lie, they're now going at me, going at what, me. So they, they knew that that wasn't the case? Yeah, so they're, like, they're, they're now they're asking me more about this, boom. So they go, what about that then? What about that then? Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, like, I know my sister's going to say stop the tape any minute now because yeah, yeah. I'm thinking I'm under pressure and every lie I'm having to lie. So all of a sudden, from this one little snowball, there's this massive avalanche of a lie now. Yeah. Right. And then um, we break and I'm thinking, fucking hell, like, this is, this is fucking serious. Mm. Like, so it's this big whole interview of lie and then I even um, sign it. My solicitor goes, oh, yeah, and I sign it. So I sign this, this statement I say is to be true. Yeah. Um, so over the course of it, I go back to the police station. They do me for the person, the course of justice, oh, which now um, I'm speaking to my barrister, and I'm thinking this lie now. She, she says to me, Claire Montgomery, unbelievable lady. Like um, she says to me, well, you're looking at 18 months. What? I'm going 18 months. Like I, I didn't do anything. For the person, the course of justice, 18 months. So now. Um, we, my whole thing now is is to try and rewrite this this wrong. Yeah. Um, so this is where it gets sticky because now all of a sudden now Woody has his barrister team. Like my 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 team, Woody gets an independent, for his agent gets an independent solicitors firm, and to represent him, the club appoint uh, mine and Bose. So I have Claire Montgomery uh, and. Um, I can't remember the same sort of barrister, but she's my um, barrister. I nearly got Sherry Blair mm. as my barrister, but she was working on something in Dubai. And so I got uh, Claire Montgomery. So we're now trying to put this right. And for ages, up until the up until I'd be honest, with you, it might have been a build up of two, three months to the court case, whatever. And up until I had to go in the dock, I couldn't say the words, the truth. Mm. Because I had this thing in my head where, you know, you're at school and you don't grasp, you don't grasp, you don't tell tales and you're, you're, you're mate. Now, this is schoolboy thing. It's just how we yeah. do it now. Do you know what I mean? Like, you go, yeah. you just wouldn't do it because you wouldn't walk in the office and think, goes, oh, you told. Even though it's like I didn't do anything, yeah. but it's my mate. So I found it hard just to say the truth, which, mm. which was just a simple words that Woody said he got into a fight and then just, just like I'd say, you had a fight, blah, blah. But I found it hard because I knew what it would be and now I'm now being deemed as telling tales of my mate and yeah. it was just one one day in in, in the cause it going for ages and she was like I can tell she's getting annoyed she just one day said listen at the time I had my two daughters she said um, well while you're sitting there contemplating your little schoolboy, don't want to tell tales when your daughters are visiting you in prison you're doing your 18 months you say to him daddy's in here because he didn't want to tell tales yeah. and then she walked out and I'm sitting there like in a room like, like this because you're like that conference room thinking fucking hell and it, it was it was difficult and up until the most difficult part of it all was um, there was six of us in the dock so it was going individually I think it was Bo first he had his time in the dock and it was like um, so there's there's six uh, people in the dock so there's six barristers mm. so once 
Bo's uh, Barrister interviews Bo, questions Bo, then the uh, prosecution do it, and then the other barristers get a chance, and then Bo's one. So it's like, it's like, like eight, a lot, a lot yes, and go through them all. So it's like, a, the, the trial was 10 weeks, like, wow. and then, um, then it's my turn now. And so I've gone all this way, and uh, when I was going to the dock in the morning, so was in the foyer in the court, you know, you get the little interview rooms, and then, so I pulled Woody, and I said, Woody, can I have a word? Yeah, come in there. I said, I'm gonna have to tell it how it is. What do you mean? Like, and Woody's my best mate at Leeds. Mm. Woody my, was my right. best mate at Leeds, right? So, I have to tell it how it is. What do you mean? I have to tell the truth, like, and say what you said. What, what do you mean? Like, I'm gonna have to tell, like, the truth. Mate, don't, please. Please, and he starts crying in front of me, and I, I'm not like, crying. I'm saying, like, I, I've got to. Please, mate, please, please don't, please, please. And he's crying, I'm crying. It's like, like what seemed like an hour. It must have been, like, ten minutes I've got to go. So both get ourselves together and walk out. And you can, as I'm walking up, you can see him going, and with all his mates going, oh, he's going. Like, you can see him, like, whispering, like, he's going to, what? So I'm in the dock now, and I'm standing up, and I'm trying to, not to shake. Um, I want to, my mouth's dry, so I want a bit of water, but I don't want to, like, Shake, yeah, so I'm like yeah. thinking, do I, do I have dry mouth and seem nervous, or yeah. do I grab the water and seem nervous? So, I know them ones, yeah. get a bit of that, <laughs> like, and then drink the water. And then, uh, my barristers obviously turn the questions and what actually happened. So, what did he say to you? And then it's like, he said to me, he's been in a fight. Yeah, that's the silence in the court. The whole court was just like silent, and you just all you hear was the scribbles of the pens of all the reporters in there. And then, and then it's just like boom. So the questions. That, so then, when I do that, and then the prosecutor now, it's my mate, isn't he? So he's just like now he's got what he wants. Okay, Mr. Uber, yeah, okay, friendly, friendly. But for like Woody's one, Bo's one wasn't because my story didn't include Bo, um, but Woody's and the others. To some of the questions, man, it was like the most like. For example, that he was saying to me, I remember Woody's one saying, isn't it true that um, you and uh, Jonathan Woodgate play the same position? Yeah. Isn't it true that Jonathan Woodgate's an England national? Yeah. Are you an English national? No. So isn't it true he plays ahead of you? Yeah. So if he goes in prison, you could be a chance oh, you playing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So do you have a motive for saying that Mr Woodgate, and I'm sitting there now, and I'm again, I'm like, now my lips... And your head must yeah. be just spinning. Yeah, over, like. yeah. So it, it got a little bit intense, and you know, and and, and, and <laughs> got through all of that. And then the the worst, the worst bit was when they done. It was um, I got doing the standing in the dock like with the, the thing, and I got found not guilty for first in the course of justice. But through something happened in the jury, no, something happened leaked in the paper. It was a mistrial. So I had to go through it all again. Now I was the oh. prosecution's main witness, so I had to go through it all again. So I had to go and stand in the court and say the same thing and stand in the dock and be the main witness against Woody again. And I was like, can't make me do this again. Mm. And then, then it created a little bit of um, distance. I don't think it was Woody. I think he was being told like, to stay away from me. Um, but there was a time when we didn't speak and it put a strain on... Because me and Woody were massive characters in the dressing room. Yeah. Um, but in the end of it, like, we got talking because of Gary Kelly. 
Gary Kelly was the one that got us all like talking and laughing. We were just at the back of the bus, and he must have grabbed our head and went, Oi, and just started singing with like we started talking. But it was, it was difficult, man. It was, it was like, difficult. Of course. I mean, I can get why, and I'm, you don't have to answer this question, mm. but this is just my thought on the matter. I, I get why you, the, the internal struggle you had, yeah. and ultimately you had to do the right thing for your, for your children. Um, but by the same token, Woodgate and uh, I know Bowie wasn't involved in that side of the story, but they kind of let you feel that way. They could have taken that off you. Yeah. Uh, they it, decided it, not to. So there was, I can understand why you took felt a, like you betrayed him. It to a took certain. a long, it took a long time for me to, remember I'm just, I'm getting deaf, I'm grass, label of grass, grass, I can still get caught now. It took a long time for me to, you know, in their build up in their stories, they could have painted the picture of what I really done. Mm. And they didn't, it's like, you know like you, anyone who ever plays, been to a casino and played uh, blackjack, yeah. and you've got six people playing, and you're supposed to work together to beat the dealer, aren't you? Mm. But you know you get the players that are trying to take cards and take, just to get their 21, and in the end everyone loses. And it was sort of like, when they're doing their, telling their, their thing, they was all like, protect self-preservation. So I didn't care about anyone else, it was like, boom, boom, boom. And it was making that one worse. So he was just, so it was like this whole, so by the time the jury heard my role, they had like four or five different versions, which made me go, I went to dock um, 70, 30, or maybe uh, 80, 20, of not having to speak when it comes to me, mm. right? By the time it come around to me, it was 80, 20 against, I had to speak mm. just to save my name because my name had been so tarnished in their versions of me because I didn't really care about self-preservation. So mm. it took a long while for me to like accept it. Listen, I sit here now, 40 years of age, and I'm like, okay, you know what, I've done the right thing. I know I've done the right thing. The, the only thing I've done wrong was not tell the truth in the beginning. Yeah. But at the time, it was like, and, and when you're in the dock, you can't speak to no one. So I went in the dock on a Friday, and it was, it didn't finish. So I had to come back Monday. So he's going, don't share your evidence for anyone. So I'm thinking, I, I can't even talk to no one. So I didn't speak to no one all weekend. Not even family thinking I might get in trouble. So I had Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and till 10 o'clock Monday, just with my own thoughts. Oh, mate. So it, it, it was, it was, listen, it, it was, um, the only thing I say, listen, part of it is self like self-inflicted because I didn't tell the truth at the beginning, but, you know, it was difficult. Yeah, it sounds, sounds... I can't imagine a... Because uh, the thing is, is I think that that kind of stuff must happen you know, up and down the world where something seems quite innocent, the next thing it's actually not, and the consequences seem great. But to be doing that and at the same time it be as um, being a position like a professional footballer whereby the goldfish bowl, the, the interest, yeah. in, and I guess at this period in time, the tabloid, uh, the tabloids kind of had such a, a stronghold on, yeah. you know, the, the way that everything would be sensationalised, a little bit different to now, you don't really have that opportunity to have your own say, like you yeah. might on your own Twitter yeah. or on your own platforms mm. now. So the kind of the, the press had all the power in yeah. a way, and obviously they're going to, it's a story that, that they're going to love <laughs> for all kinds of, both yeah. from building it up as, Racism to then yeah. grass to all that kind of stuff. It I mean, I wouldn't even if I had a Twitter. You'd, you'd come off Twitter if you was at that time. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't even you like you, the club would say throw it away. Don't don't do it. But it, it was um, it was crazy. It was crazy. From one crazy story to another. Then so Leeds were about two thousand and seven. Yeah, was it? No, no. Sorry, sorry. But when did Leeds basically start to go 
break from the inside out and spent way too money you're really, yeah. really stale right. over invested in players though, that's right. uh, spent too much in, in um, spending buying players Seth Johnson went for a lot of money on big wages yeah um, and obviously they couldn't sustain that spending and as we know I think they went into administration they and they felt recovered from that actually well, they're they? still well, they lead the championship aren't they in the championship yeah. um, so uh, so the <laughs> It's not funny, actually, but they... It's a nervous laugh, I know, I know. Yeah, it's a nervous laugh, yeah. exactly, because they... You, you mentioned in the press in 2007 that they they tried to dope you by putting cocaine in your food yeah. or your tea. Yeah. Um, and they also threatened to have Gary Kelly, one, one man club, yeah. one club man, uh, have his legs broken. Yeah. What, what is this? Is this an it, allegation that can't be... It, listen, it, it, it may... It was, it was in a... It was... Um, I, read, I I found out in reading the Sunday paper, the Mirror, and then obviously through people I know in Leeds that had uh, connections with people involved. Um, so I say allegedly just to, to to say, but it was in the paper. Like you know, the the press ain't gonna print that unless they had some valid reason. Mm. So um, and so what happened was uh, when the club was. Um, Finding their fault, and Peter Risdale lived his dream. He was a Leeds fan. Um, he's like playing championship manager in it. Now the difference is sometimes you just go out restart, don't you? Just like, turn the computer on, <laughs> yeah, and go, yeah, yeah, money. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and like you know, he got like lived the dream, had some great memories, but he just started um, spending money on the basis of thinking he was going to get Champions League again and big signings, and it didn't work out. So the, the club was selling off all its valuable assets. And obviously there was some players there left on high high wages, you know, myself being one of them. And the club um, had some new uh, people on the board. They wanted us off the wages. Um, they couldn't find a way to get us off the wages. So the plot was, when we had our pre- pre-match dinner, um, to put uh, some sprinkled cocaine in the Parmesan cheese and then put that on my pasta, I'd then eat that. They'd drug test me on the Monday. I'd be positive for drugs. They can sack me. Uh, they didn't have to pay me, uh, and they get me off the wage bill that way. And then allegedly Gary Kelly, he lived in a, he, he where he lived, he walked across to the Bingley Arms local pub, mm. and um, on the way home, they'd get some hoodlums to beat him up, break his leg. They'd get the insurance money. He wouldn't be able to play again. Another one off the wages. So that was the the plot. So reading it, you're like. No. Oh, you found out about all that on, in the paper? Yeah. Oh. Like, I'm like, no. No. So I'm reading it like the same, like with the family go, people find out, have you read? No. I'm like, really? Like, come yeah. on now. Like, is this what they're... The, 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 the hardest bit about... Reading it was easy. The hardest bit was... Um, I'll go, I'll, I'll go in Leeds in the town. So the, 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 one of the, the board members that took over was... I can't remember his name, but he was he was around about my age, so he would like be in town, so he'd be in the summer sometimes the same places, and I'd openly hear him, and he used to speak loud so I can hear like his friends going, look at that piece of shit, I pay his wages, he's shit. He'd be say he'd openly say that, right? And um, so I sit there, I'm like, okay, bark my lip, right? And then um, one time, I remember one time, I'm going to petrol stage, filling up. The, my car, you know, you get you pull up one side of the petrol tank and he's in the other, and he's Porsche, and he's he's looking at me like, like looking at me like I'm thinking, I'm not a violent man, but I could 
I could have definitely just folded him up just yeah. there and then, especially after knowing what he's 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 trying to do yeah, yeah. and having to bite my lip, thinking, no, I'm not going to do anything for him to 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 sack me and then get what he wants anyway. Yeah. And like with his little smug like all the time. So that was a difficult bit when I see him face to face and not having to 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 say or do anything. But I wouldn't give him that satisfaction. But it was it was it's only now when I think back what could have happened if that would have worked. Now I'd have been sitting here as this What so, so what you mean is if if they'd have done some kind of ply like that and if it, if, 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 if it had come off and right, now all right. of a sudden now you're talking to me and you know and I'm talking about I never done drugs, I was, you know, um framed and maybe the, the story come out ten years later and but I've that's ten years of my career, how do you feel and all this yeah. pent up anger and frustration and, and all that so, so what could have happened and, and how it would have affected just my whole life yeah. and the people around me. Because no one would have believed that you wouldn't yeah. you hadn't done it. Everyone would have just assumed that... I'm doing drugs, yeah. Yeah, you're doing... Yeah, yeah, there's no reason not like you're doing drugs, yeah, like, come on now. And big I'm saying... Time. Yeah, big yeah, time. yeah, big time, yeah. <laughs> right, he was right. Yeah. <laughs> right, he was right. He's, he's big time, even doing drugs now. So <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's scary that people like will go to that sort of measure. What, um, what was the feeling around... Was it people aware that things were falling apart at Leeds? It was, it was it kind of... Because you said, like you said, you went from being this... Uh, being an amazing football yeah. club to be everyone in it together best mates yeah. and not being about the money but about winning and winning something yeah. together um, to the, the club imploding you, was you aware as players only, only we only when we heard oh the club's 65 million pound in debt we're like how'd you get to 65 like at least yeah. get to 5 and then like and you're like right we've got like, a problem yeah, yeah, yeah like, do you know what I mean 5 like, yeah, you get 65 like, do you know I mean that's a lot of spending if we get mm. 65 and the, the club asks us to defer some our wages to help the club and all the players uh, over a certain age and certain wage, so you know what we defer like twenty five percent, which is weeks wages. Like all of us will defer weeks wages uh, to the club. Like they're going, nah, you lot being selfish. What are you talking about? They want us to defer sixty percent. Well, how can we defer sixty percent? It was sixty percent, mm. and so that's not right. We defer like a week, like do you know what I mean, it's like, and then uh, it it didn't take off, and then. They're selling players, and we found at the training ground they're selling. Players were leaving. Um, you know, it was, it was more like as players we stuck together. Like, but players were were leaving, and there was a there was a core left um, still at the club. Um, now, when you see things in the paper, is it is it hard? Is it difficult? Not really. But people, I let you play a game, and in the morning it's part of it. And the press, one well, first thing they question is, does this affect you? Does it affect you? But yeah. it, you just play your game. But um, it was sad how the club was going, yeah. What um, you talked about? We want to talk about a bit about Peds. Yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of like. Well, obviously we spoke a bit about recreational drugs there. Um, you know, you've been around again, been in a lot of different dressing rooms. Um, I have a bit of a theory, and you know, as a UFC fan mm. like me, you'll have seen John Jones just on the eve of UFC uh, 200, Brock Lesnar just post UFC 200. Um, do you think football... Um, so I, my theory is, and I kind of said this last week, but I'll just reiterate for those that might not have listened last week, is that in there's so much money in sport and there's wherever there's lots of money, people are always trying to take it illegitimately or do things illegitimately. Um, steroids is something that's that's been around for a long time. There's all kinds of things from uh, testosterone replacement therapy um, to you know other kind of 
PEDs and, yeah. and, and ways of people kind of getting that edge or helping recovery. Um, and then you look at some of the physiques that people have and, and their ability to come back from injuries and stuff like that. Do you think it's in football, football is entirely clean from that, even though cycling, um, athletics, um, you know, lots of other sports, mixed martial arts have, have clearly where lots of star athletes have been found doping. Do you think that football's clean of that or? I honestly believe um, <clears throat> it is. Um, I believe that uh, you look at top top athlete like Ronaldo, I think that's hard work. I honestly believe it's hard work. Um, he, the way he recovers um, is medicine and, and the treatments. Um, and if you're getting, you know, 24 hours of treatment, going home, getting treatment and dedicating yourself to recovering, you know, you, you can do it. I think you look at um, the fastest man in the world, clean, Usain mm. Bolt, clean. Do you know what I mean? But people look at him saying, well, is he? Because just of people who try and catch up to him, yeah. use shortcut measures to catch up to him, but he's clean. I just think um, it's hard work. You know what? There might be a player that gets caught mm. and it might tarnish the whole whole game. But I say there's, there's players that work hard. I think I, you can't take it away from those players that work tirelessly hard, that dedicate themselves not to drinking, you know, not to smoking, just to making themselves the best player they can be making their body. Those physiques, like, listen, I'm 40 now, like, I'd love to have my six-pack back, so if, if someone give me some peds now, I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd drink it with my Vimto, do you know what I mean? But um, it's... it's uh, I think it's hard work. I think the game is clean. I, I, I don't think football is is that way. Um, I just think it's it's hard work. And yes, there might be people cheating and, and trying to get a shortcut, but that's just in every industry. People are always trying to catch up. But I think that the top ones work hard. I, I don't think that um, hard work and taking performance enhancing drugs are mutually exclusive. I think that if anything, um, it probably allows you to work even harder because. Um, that's the thing with TRT is that people can push themselves to a complete limit yeah. and then re almost re-energise overnight and then push themselves to that limit yeah. the next day whereas actually a normal human being might need to have a rest day you, you know well, like, so what does it mean it kind of re repairs you don't feel any muscle pain or uh, okay so I'm, I'm first oh, of all I'm not I'm definitely not a doctor <laughs> <laughs> but I've listened to a lot of stuff about this and I've read a few things about it yeah. but essentially TRT is like when you exercise and stuff like that it probably raises your um, you, you need to, your body uses certain um, uh, hormones in order to kind of help get things done yeah. so from what I understand of what TRT does it's a way that um, it helps your body recover and regenerate muscle. So if you do an exercise, if you were to, to go and do a full workout now and really push yourself and do, I don't know, lots and lots of different rounds, circuits, weights and stuff like that and then sparring, the next day you'd be kind of battered and you might not be able to, to reach the same levels of, of endurance mm. because you're a human being yeah. and what TRT does is it helps you kind of it helps you essentially recover from that quicker so that the next day you can actually push yourself to that limit again and the limits that you're able to go to uh, you know that's what you do you break muscle don't you that that's how it's you grow it's tissue that builds is that is that right something like again yeah. I'm not a doctor but, but but you you push you you push yourself to the limit and then you create muscle memory so then you can it's like if you're ripped and then you take a couple of months off you, your muscles will reduce yeah. but then because you've been at that level before if you train again you can kind of get up to that level so what something like TRT does it allows you to 
do that, be in the gym all day, every single day, push yourself to the absolute limit, mm. but recover much faster, essentially. Um, that's the way that I Yeah, but, that, but that, that's why my point being that a clean athlete would work hard because he's working hard, working hard. Mm. Like the... the the, whatever the drugs is giving you that little heads up so you're working hard but you're not working as hard as just you know grafting with your natural thing enough as I'm saying some people work hard feel sick uh, and then push themselves the next day because they're actually naturally tired so yeah. I, I, I do believe it's it's a clean sport I'm sure many uh, sportsmen of their own sports would advocate that their sport's clean but um, I do believe it's a, it's, a, it's a clean sport and if there is someone cheating it's cheating to catch up mm. I mean I think it's look there's a lot of technologies I think that aren't um, um, banned substances or mm. that aren't um, um, things that would be considered cheating um, that obviously if you're at the top of the game you probably have the ability to do so like this people that are doing a bit of Austin Powers and getting frozen because that can have amazing restorative abilities to your muscles. Mayweather does that, doesn't he? Yeah, there's things like stem cell therapy whereby you're able to recover from injuries by getting your uh, having an injection from your uh, your own DNA and all your kind of strength, you inject that into the injury and that kind of allows you to recover quicker. Mm. There's various things about people having their blood changed and swapped and things like yeah, that. Yeah, I've heard that too. There's crazy all kinds of crazy things that they're able to do. Yeah, For, for, uh, for injuries. Uh, you heard about that? Yeah, like exactly. Sprains and stuff. So, so there's all kinds of things that someone like Ronaldo would be able to afford because he's got so much money, but I don't know. And, yes, and, I mean, we moan about football when people dive in and get cheating out of the game and then you know there's sports like cycling and everyone's taking drugs so sometimes we've got to count ourselves lucky that if our pinnacle is someone trying to win a foul is cheating you talked about falling out of love with the game obviously Leeds yeah and you can I can understand completely why um, I could have told you that before you signed dude <laughs> yeah, yeah, should, should have come to the town you, mate you, you picked the two most hate, universally I did, hated I didn't, I didn't know that I didn't know everyone the history. Everyone hates Chelsea. Everyone hates Leeds. Oh, no, one hates Chelsea. no one hates Chelsea. I hate Chelsea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, the voice of the people. <laughs> um, but I didn't know the history between Chelsea and, and Leeds at the time. Mm. But when, at the back end, <clears throat> I was uh, Kevin Blackwell. Um, and, you know, I've never been one to slag off managers, but the way he, he treated me at the end, I didn't like it. I thought he was a bit of a, a bully towards people. Wasn't a nice person. Um and it's just like, I thought, oh, I don't like this anymore. Mm. Um, and then went to Stoke on loan, Tony Pulis. Uh, the Stoke fans just um, just injected a love of football for me again. I loved the Stoke place. Stoke fans did? Yeah, just because everyone wants to be loved, don't they? Mm. It's, it's beyond. Everyone likes to be loved and wants to be, not, not, in, not in a way where you crave it, but everyone wants to be loved. It's nice to be loved, nice to be liked. And they took to me, um, they're, they're, as a people, they're hard-working people, honest people. That's how I play. Um, they took to me and, and I love what I got and I, I gave everything back. And for me, I was like, I love this. Yeah. Like, I, they, they do have a great, um, like, I mean, I, I don't know from this Premier League era Stoke, but I remember playing them in like lower yeah. divisions. And they always would fill out an away end. Their the atmosphere, they'd sing, and then the yeah. Delilah song. Yeah, they're, 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 they're passionate. So it gave me a love for football, and I thought, you know what, I want to come here. And then it was, and then I was there, and I was loving it. And Leeds called me back. I was like, oh, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. 
and um, I went back. I got injured, but then um, uh, Ken Bates uh, done a deal, and uh, I moved to to Stoke. Yeah. So we we, we sent out a request because um, we got a part of the Bullshit yeah. Network. We got Bear Pit TV, big Stoke channel, um, and Elliot who who runs that. He's a great he's, striker, by the way. Plays for Bolstery FC. Yeah. Good striker. He's also got type on there, so he swings him around about. <laughs> uh, he, um, he, he he didn't remember you playing because he's quite young. Yeah. But he spoke to his old man, and 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 then someone else, another Stoke yeah. fan. We you know he said all of them just said, "Can you uh, ask him to tell the story about when you started the Delilah song?" Yeah, there's went to Burnley away, <clears throat> and um, the Stoke fans, I think it was down at the bottom end. He come out the. I don't know if it's still the same tunnel yeah. when you go down the bottom end. And uh we'd won and, and we went over to the the fans and you know like <clears throat> they start saying, give us a song, give us a song, so yeah. you do the shh <laughs> <laughs> and uh I had it st- I had to st- start, but I started the Delilah song and everyone started saying the Delilah. So it was, I think it might have gone up round twice and that yeah. but it's brilliant when you give us a song went shh. <laughs> and we went quite a bunch and then we started singing and the players were out and we stayed out for we stayed there for a while before we went in like you know it was brilliant I always get tweets from Stoke fans it is a, is a clip nice. on YouTube uh, somewhere um, we'll find it anyway. yeah yeah it, it's, it's, listen it was it was, a, it was a good moment for me. obviously I had a great rapport with the with the Stoke fans um, but you know what I'll be honest y'all no one can ever tell me how the, the, the Delilah song start where it started from yeah. I asked many fans like what, what their, yeah or their, how they took it upon yeah like what wait, wait, yeah. I don't know but what I do like is that they changed the lyrics didn't they a little bit so I don't know the, I don't they did so it's um, they go um, I was, I, I she sh- put her, I she put my dick in her hand and she laughed no more yeah. whoa uh, why, yeah. why, why it's Tom Jones isn't it yeah, yeah. yeah. but he always <coughs> say I put my dick in her hand and she <laughs> yeah but she like they, they started saying like she da 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 the, the, and it says yeah. it starts out. He says, I touched the back of her hat and she laughed no more. Yeah. They, they, changed. It's actually, they made it rude. It's a sinister it. song. I don't know if you've yeah. ever heard it. It's really, really creepy. Not the Stoke version, the actual original. The Stoke version is more creepy. More creepy. Would, yeah. <laughs> but uh, a great song and it sounds amazing at the football. Stoke are great fans. Absolutely. We, we, we talked a bit about this earlier and it made me laugh, dude, because you said that we were talking about how sometimes at some football clubs, Sam Parkin and uh, Reese Weston talked about how team was so badly affected by um, you know the abuse they were getting from their own fans yeah. that they kind of developed a siege mentality and said fuck them fans we're not going yeah. to clap them next but you said that you, you never experienced at the clubs no. you had no like, don't get me wrong like, you, you've, you've gone a bad run and, and then like, someone goes listen forget about the fans we, we get on with what we're doing in here and then what we do, they, they, they'll have to end up clapping like, you just think no not fuck the fans but yeah. you know what we get on with what we're doing in here do you know what I mean and so you play but then after the game, win, lose or draw, you have to go and if you're away, you have to Clapping. search your fans out. You know, sometimes a manager comes out, get the fuck over there and go, you go <laughs> and search them out and you, like, you walk over and you, you go a clap and you get a clap and you see one guy and go, fuck off! <laughs> Quick! Like he's angry. Don't clap us! We're Shit! There's two goals! Fuck off! <laughs> you're like, crap in and you're like, making out you don't know but your eye keeps making contact with him and he's going, fuck you looking at, fuck off! You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some little six year old giving you a little two thing, back off! Guys <laughs> giving him permission, yeah, you can do that, son. Fuck, back off! Back well done, son. Do you know what I mean? You, 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 t- you, you take your take your take your your medicine, but yeah, I've never been like, oh fuck the fan. You, you know, so, listen, be honest, yeah, sometimes 
I'm not being like a fan, but the fans notice the players that just don't even come over. And mm. sometimes, you know, fans go, you know what, at least you come over. Like, yeah. you've had that, and some fans go, he didn't even come over. And obviously, some people don't want to get fucked off. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, some people just walk parking at you just can't, you just can't go over there for your, your, your applause. You've got to take your medicine, and mm. it's part and parcel. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I, 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 I think for, for, as a fan, whenever there's that moment where a player shares something, yeah. because never in modern football have fans felt so separate from yeah. the employees of the club and, yeah. and the players that play in the shirt. Um, so when when a player does do that, like that, yeah. the reason why Spoke fans are still talking about yeah. that time and you start because it doesn't happen. Yeah. It's, it's something you can cherish. It is, it is, um, like my thing is, uh, with football now, um, where are you going to get that that kid that says to the player, oh, there's a picture of me when I was six and I come to the training ground, you had a picture of me, and he's now 25 or something. You, you just don't get that anymore because can you get to the training ground and watch him train? Not anymore. Mm. Can you mm. see him after the game? Not anymore, where everyone's just, you know, jumping in their car on the escape route. And So there's a massive separation that how do you feel close to these so-called heroes? Like the, the, the bit that you love about these heroes growing up is that you felt like, they were part of you. They were with you. Yeah, they made you. Could you relate yeah, to but now when you're so far and you, it's like sort of like when you're growing up and you know everyone had their team over here and then you know, the the Real Madrid's and the Barcelona were like the teams you can never get close to and it's getting like the Premier League clubs are, are like that sort of thing. You you can't get close. You have to go to like your local local teams to get close to a player but you know yeah. to get your photos and all that sort of stuff or your mum and dad has to pay X amount of money for you to be a ball boy or, or mm-hmm. win a competition to go to the training ground you know it's it's it's, it's difficult really, I do like the because um, I think you're right there's definitely the Premier League got a little bit arrogant uh, there was a lot of money involved and then the players who were obviously getting higher and higher proportions yeah. of uh, of a, a bigger cake yeah. because of all the money that was coming through the TV rights certainly did seem to that distance kind of grew and it was almost like they were behind a, a velvet rope like almost like Hollywood A-listers yeah. rather than players yeah. I mean I remember when I was a kid um, you, you'd you'd go into the pub after the match and yeah. the players would come into the pub you know yeah. like uh, that's that kind of thing doesn't happen and you felt like you kind of yeah. knew but other sports some of the sports that are maybe a bit more challenger sports yeah. they still have they have a culture whereby you are a little bit closer where yeah, there is yeah. a bit more mixing um, you know and I, and I think I think MMA you get that yeah. because that they've not had the money starting to get there now but yeah. they've not had the money so they've had to um, work hard and, and almost be a little bit more hungrier for acknowledgement yeah. and validation um, and you've certainly had that in cricket and rugby where people just seem to be a little bit more approachable interestingly uh, in boxing it's still the, the link between professional boxers and, and the fans is, is inextricably close right, it, yeah. it's uh, you can get access to world level fighters because right. they're just willing to talk you yeah, know it's, yeah. it is incredible but that's because but, most but, mo- but I would say from the football point of view it is the clubs and the clubs are trying to protect these commodities so they're the, the distance is created by the right. clubs like you finish your, your game um, you we have this you jump in your cars and they go um, it's the club creating the, the barriers the training grounds you know what, what, why you can't like Chelsea train at Harleton you drive up you go and watch them train you sign a few autographs can you do that now at Chelsea can you do it at Arsenal just rock up no security boom why yeah. won't happen so it's, it's a barrier created by the clubs when there's more money, there becomes more 
sort of protection. You know, like all of a sudden now, they've gone for having maybe a BMW M3 to having this Ferrari F40. We have to put this Ferrari F40 in a different garage, protect it, yeah. and no one can just come around it and touch it because if it breaks. So there's, there's all these sort of things, and it's not right, but I, I wouldn't put um, all the blame on the players. It's You can't get to them in the training ground. It's, it's the club yeah. rules. Yeah. I understand that. I remember going, <clears throat> speaking about players' cars, <laughs> I remember going to watch, uh, as a Yorkshireman, yeah. you like a bit of cricket. You remember going to watch Test Cricket at, um, at Headingley, and uh, there's, at Headingley you've got the, the cricket ground and the rugby league stadiums, sort of, it's the same thing, but the other side of the stand. Yeah. And I remember like just having a little walk around, and, and all the players' cars were sort of parked in there on the rugby pitch. So I was looking around, and they've got a little bit of a, um, you know, some nice cars there. One of them, it was a Peugeot 305, it was battered. Phil Tufnell, right? <laughs> Literally, the cars, just there's cans of Coke here and there, like wrappers, like a few copies of the sun push down thing, <laughs> like where the red master has been bleached from the sun. I'm just like, I love him, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He's just a normal, I can I'm, relate to that guy. I'm, I'm, I'm taking a punt here. Go on. But haven't you got a good story about you having to drive a really expensive car, maybe Ian Wright's car, or is that someone else completely? Uh, yeah, I did. I did. He did force me to borrow his Maserati. Yeah, yeah. So I bought it. I was terrified. Yeah. I was. I had to drive it. I was like, I'll just get an Uber. He's like, no, I'll take the car. I was like, honestly, please let me take an Uber. I'd rather pay for it than get it wrong. He's like, no, have it. Have it all weekend. And I was like, all right, cool. So I went home in this car and I'm like, right, I've got this Maserati. And then literally, so having said, forced me to take it and have it all weekend, he then phones me up the next. Like, I've not even had it 24 hours yet. It's funny, Matt, I need the car. Like, drivers let me down. I've got to get to Coventry for this thing. Can you get to me? I'm like, yeah, fine. So I had to drive through London and... Uh, oh, mate. Um, be horrible. But that was um, interesting. Yeah. Um, you talked a little bit about your time at Reading, playing on the Steve Coppel. Yeah. It was a good time for you. Yeah. So you liked him. A lot, of, a lot of ex-players talk about that. He loved Coppel. Yeah. I think he came through with Coppel. Yeah, he's... And... It's, 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 it's... I think just maybe in the day and age of shouters, he was this calm man and, and just earn everyone's respect because how he how he dealt with it and he knew his football um, yeah I, I, I definitely like working under him um, he always had something good to say something positive to say um, yeah like I think I thought it was a really good manager out of um, all the, the the players that you've been around and the captains that you'll have had in various places and some of the managers and you know Oddle yeah. couple some big names uh who have you? Um, who was the best leader out of everyone? The one that you'd kind well, of like as a manager inspiration from? Well, in in any way, shape, or form, I guess. Um, because a leader don't necessarily need to be yeah. the boss, does it? Sometimes, as a player, uh, Marcel. Right. Um, that when I when I was going through when I was coming through Chelsea, like um, uh, like a young lad. So like in in the meetings, you didn't just say too much. You just like mm. hold your corner. Like you just like just take in more. And I always just noticed that. There's a lot of players used to make excuses and make excuses, but then Mark Hughes, uh, Marcel, they Mark Mark Hughes never used to say a lot, but when he used to say a lot, he used to go and stand, listen, uh, Marcel as well, and they used to talk sense and they used to make excuses. They just like, like just say what it was, and I used to right. think like I love that. I always think I love that, like how they used to speak, like just just didn't used to make excuses. Um, so Marcel has to look at thinking like a leader. Mark Hughes, like, because I always think with Mark Hughes is is that he was quiet off the pitch, but on the pitch he was like, he was boom, he was like a bit mad, yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 Marcel was a presence, and 
Wherever you are off the field, be loud. I'm I'm loud, like I'm I'm a character, but I have to make sure wherever I am off the pitch, if I'm loud, I have to be twice as loud on the pitch. So I can't just be this guy on the pitch mm. and be, because otherwise you lose respect from everyone. Like, don't be loud off the pitch and then go in there and be this little mouse. So, but these players had presence and used to lead, and I, I just loved the way um, Mark Hughes was. As uh, other players, Rio, um, good leader. Uh, <coughs> Lucas Radaby used to lead by example. Um, trying to think of a, I was glad I never played alongside Paul Elliott when I was younger. Right, okay. Because um, he seemed like could be a leader, of the presence. Did he play centre half and up front and move between the <coughs> two positions? I don't know. Like I just remember every massive Jericho here. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, those those players that would just like would Gus Poye just seemed a leader. Like players that just like didn't make excuses and either led by example or vocally. <coughs> um, but Mark Hughes and Marcel uh, especially. Uh, and to be honest, uh, there's two players, obviously, that massive like in, in, in being a leader for me was uh, David Rowcastle, God rest mm. his soul, used to like, just speak to me and tell me stuff. And Mark Steen. All right. Like Mark no Steen, way. yeah, Mark Steen. Like so, him and Rocky used to... <coughs> right, OK. Yeah. Well, the, the Rocky one doesn't surprise me because I know that Righty uh, yeah, learned yeah. a lot from him and looked yeah. into him a bit. And then Mark, so I know Mark uh, pretty well. Yeah. You know Junior? Um, my mate Junior. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So Junior is lives with and has been a long-time partner with Mark's little sister. OK. Yeah, so I know Mark and Brian. Like yep. Mark, Mark's actually round their place quite a lot, so yeah, I see yeah. him with Mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a Stoke legend as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Like, like Chelsea, yeah? Yeah, like, so from yeah, Chelsea, that's where I know Stino. They always used to, like, speak to me and pull me... I, I speak to Stino all the time, like... Right, OK. Um, he, yeah, he knows me. Yeah, yeah, like, I think he's, uh, like, him and Rocky, especially, because they, they were, like, being... Treated pretty badly at one stage at Chelsea, right. like being outed, and um, still had time to help, guide, and uh, inspire. Nice, well, mate. Um, you were a great leader in the um, the Ian Wright game we played at Wembley. We yeah. played in the same team. <laughs> you were a rock that day, um, and so thank you for that. And I, I don't know if you you noticed me playing, but no, um, <laughs> <laughs> noticed me nearly scoring. It's fine little cry term but you don't have to mention that it's cool but no you you were you were great mate thank you for that yeah. uh thanks for for today um i think that there's a i mean we'd, we'd love to have you back on by the way at some point because yeah, yeah. there's that, so much more to discuss yeah there's so much more to discuss yeah that. i'd love to be it's it's, it's been a pleasure uh, Go on. sorry dudes um last week reese weston and sam parkin both agreed to join uh, ball street fc our new football club uh, by being on the podcast inadvertently you've also agreed um to join Okay. FC. Um, okay. We'll let you know when your first game is. Yeah. Uh, if that's all right. Yeah, no worries. I don't yeah. mind. I don't <laughs> mind getting my six pack back a bit of exercise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need some of them performance enhancing drugs and yeah. maybe some 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 cocaine uh, <laughs> and, the <pasta. laughs> yeah. and the pasta. Yeah. You're right now. Thank <laughs> you very for much, uh, yeah. very much for that. Uh, this is the uh, the Long Ball Street podcast. We'll see you at the far post. See you then. See you up.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.